Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, the little ones who need to be dismissed may go with Cassie. And it looks like Cassie has a whole basket of things to do. <laughs> I may want to go with her. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Glad to see everyone here. Uh, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. Gospel of Matthew 21, as we continue, beginning in verse 23 through 27. We're continuing again through this wonderful gospel, and this chapter is so showing how much authority and power Jesus has. Matthew is making it very clear who Jesus is through his power and through his authority. And this is a scene of many scenes throughout his ministry where he was challenged. And I love how Jesus deals with these, this interaction. He is so wise and, and I won't say shrewd in this. And that alone shows how much power he has. With that said, let's stand in reverence. Let's focus our attention on God's word. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I will, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then do you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Very shrewd of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful passage, this depth into the insights of your son and his authority, his power, his wisdom, and how he does not cater to fools. And so God, I pray this morning you would help us to understand the depths of your son's power, the depth of your son's authority. And Lord, where do we stand? Do we, do we know his authority? Do we know his power? These, uh, these chief priests, their answer was, we do not know. We may think we know, Father, but Lord, if, if we are blind to your truth, then Lord, I pray that through your mercy, you would reveal that to us today. Help us, Lord, see the gravity of this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. I mean, Matthew's gospel here is continuing to show us Jesus' divine authority and his expectations for his disciples. Remember, there's a lot of expectations that Jesus has for those who follow him. And those expectations are just because Jesus has the authority and the power to expect those things. Loyalty, dedication, submission, Humility. And we see this in this scene, all of these things at play. I mean, his authority was challenged. And again, often we, we, we the gospel show us that this authority was challenged, not just a few times, but we can understand that it was often challenged along the way. And this passage here in verses 23 through 27, I think they highlight Jesus's wise reaction to and the control of these moments when he was challenged. 
We can learn much from Jesus in these interactions on how to interact with those who challenge the gospel. If we are Christians and we exude Christ and we are challenged in that and people come against us with anger and aggression as our culture is more and more doing so, how do we react to it? I think this text helps us. I think we can look at this and understand how to react to the challenges of the faith as when they challenge us as Christians, they're challenging our Lord. I mean, Jesus exemplifies, I think, his divine leadership over the kingdom of heaven. And he stands once again here to the challenges that bombarded him often. It didn't sway him. The challenges didn't knock him off his balance. He he took it head on. I mean, Matthew shows us in this engagement between Jesus and the chief priests of the temple, I think exactly the proper hierarchy of authority that God intended it to be. It's a a lesson on authority here as well. It's a lesson of hierarchy in God's created order of things. I mean, authority, if you're taking notes, I really hope that you can jot this down. This is the key to this text. We have to understand what is authority and what is power. Authority is the right to affect control over things. I want to say that again. Authority is the right. It's a right to affect control over objects, control over individuals, control over events. That's a right. That's what authority is. If you have authority, you have the right to these things. You control what occurs. That get, that's, that's your authority. In your home, parents, you have God-given authority to affect control over your home. You have God-given authority to effect control over the little individuals that God has given you responsibility for. And he has given you control over the events of their lives and of your family's interactions. Correct? That's authority. Now, while human authority may be delegated, and it is, God's authority is not delegated to him. God's authority arises from himself alone. That's the definition of God. No one delegates authority. That's, that's the problem in our current moral relativistic age, if you don't understand that term. Relativism says, I am authority. I have authority over my own choices. I have authority over what I think is right and what I think is wrong. That's moral relativism. That doesn't apply to God. God defines his own authority. <laughs> we as human beings do not have the same innate natural authority that God does. And we're going to see some of that here as well at play. Now, the second thing I want us to understand, authority is defined. Now let's define power. Power is the ability to bring about what one desires. Authority is the, is the right to control things. Power is the ability to bring about what you want. And that's what we all desire, I think, in our sinful self. We desire control. In in the Gospels, God reveals his authority. That's his right to affect control. And God shows his power all through the persons of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we see here. And that's that's what's at play in this scene. I mean, Jesus here, as he is being challenged, Jesus's response is actually teaching the lesson of true authority and true power that rests within the Son of God, Jesus himself. That's his response. 
Now let's look here in verse 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? I mean, I find this scene interesting. Just put picture your mind. Jesus has already purged the temple the day, the days before. He is back at the temple daily during this final week of his life. And while he is there, he is teaching. I mean, I find it interesting. Have you ever been interrupted by someone when you're doing something important? Everybody in this room is grinning. Every mother with the eyes rolled back. Yes. Right? Imagine what Jesus, he's doing the most important thing he could be doing here. What's he doing? He's teaching. And what happens? Look here in verse 23. And when he entered the temple, this is as Jesus is coming into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people, they come up to him as he was teaching. They interrupt him. Which right there shows you their lack of respect for what he was doing. Homeschool parents who are teaching your children, do you try to avoid all interruptions as you're hopefully trying to educate these little ones in your life? Right. Those who run businesses, uh, I, I, I promise you, I'm, I'm sure Bill can tell us tons of stories of how he's tried to conduct a business, but he can't get things done because he keeps getting interrupted. I can tell you tons of stories about how I can't get anything done because of interruptions, right? It, it happens all the time. And, and Jesus here, he's teaching the most important thing he could be doing. And they just come up, hey, Jesus, who are you? Imagine the scene. <laughs> now, I would be irritated. I'd probably respond in some snarky reaction or something. He, he's a little snarky, but I think Jesus has a little more tact here as well, right? I mean... It, Jesus, once again, he's teaching truth in the temple. Who did Jesus teach here, though? Let's remember who Jesus was teaching. Who was listening to him as he was teaching? Matthew 21, back in verses 14 through 15, remember, tells us who was who learned from Jesus in the temple. When he was purging the temple, who was learning from him? The blind, the lame, the poor. Remember the children? Those were the ones who were listening to Jesus in this scene as he is being interrupted. Remember that the chief priests in verse 15 of, of, of chapter 21, when Jesus was doing this, they were indignant. Who are you children to speak up in the temple? Who are you poor and lame and blind outcast? Why are you here? They were indignant. So it's important to understand here, I think, in this scene, who was listening and who was not. You see the point? Jesus was teaching those who are listening. He was not teaching those who were not listening. The ones who were not listening demanded attention for themselves. They didn't understand what was going on because they were not listening. You see the point? In verse 23, Jesus was teaching. And then it says, then the chief priests and the elders, they came up to him and here was their interruption. Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? What was Jesus doing? Remember, he had just purged the temple. He had just come into Jerusalem in a mighty, glorious, royal manner. He had been 
performing miracle after miracle, healing after healing. Even in the temple, uh, Matthew tells us that he was healing the blind and the lame. And he was teaching. Remember, authority, so they're asking about, and who gave you this? In other words, who gave you permission to do this, Jesus? Remember authority here. What is, remember the definition of authority? Authority is the right. It's a right to affect control. Power is the ability to bring about that right. Jesus exercises both here. He exercises both his right of authority and his ability of power. He exercises both here as the chief priests and the elders are attempting to do the same. So what we have here is a tug of war, a clash between authority and power among two parties. It's, it's what men do. Right, men? All the men are chuckling. See, so you know how men get along? We want to test each other. Right, guys? And all the women are shaking their head going, why did God create this? But it's part of our fallen nature here, guys, right? And that's what's happening here. There's a tug of war, a, a thumping of chests. I mean, I think we can determine that the chief priest did possess some authority, but they possessed authority by another source apart from Jesus himself. I mean, look here at verse 26. Verse 26 actually tells us that the chief priests were afraid of public opinion, and that, I think, gives us the indication of where their authority came from. If they could not persuade the people, then their authority and power were threatened. They, their, their source of authority, their source of power, really came from their ability to control the people. If the people could not be controlled, they had no authority. If the people could not be controlled, they had no power. Look here in verse 26. This is after Jesus' interaction. We'll go back and look at that. And at the end of their tit for tat back and forth, trying to figure out how to answer Jesus, if we say for a man, we are afraid of the crowd. Underline it. We are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. That's public opinion. Because Jesus' question to them was about John the Baptist. How did John the Baptist baptize? Why did he baptize? Who gave him authority to baptize? Well, these men weren't going to answer because of fear of public opinion. That tells you where their authority came from. And they knew it. As long as they could control the masses, they had power. They had authority. They could do what they wanted. They, they had the right to determine events. But if they that was weakened, they were nobody. Now apply that to the, our modern age. You can probably, as you're hearing this, you're probably in the back of your mind thinking of someone who has public opinion and public power, and they can control the narrative in our society. People admire charismatic personalities for some reason. The, the mob mentality of following the charismatic leader throughout human history has always led to destruction. And these chief priests, they were distorting God's original intended hierarchy of authority and power. And that's what happens in our culture now. It amazes me how the mob can follow anyone who really just has a persuasive personality. You see where we're headed? It's what's happening here. 
And Jesus is challenging it. I mean, again, verse 26 tells us that the chief priests were afraid. If they could not persuade the people, then their authority and power were threatened. Now, go back up to verse 25 and into 26. For 25, remember, Jesus counters their challenge with this question. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? He throws the question back to them. Notice both verses 25 and 26. The chief priests have a dilemma. We see in these two verses that they have to consult between each other. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus just asked us a question. Uh, let's, let's go into a huddle. Just a minute, Jesus. We'll, we'll give you an answer. <laughs> let's go talk about this. The chief priests have a dilemma. They have a dilemma between the power of heaven and the authority of men. I mean, their reaction to Jesus is much like the tossing of the mind, like the seas that James warns us of in James chapter 1. If you want to flip over there quickly, James uh, uh, talks about this. We studied this last summer on Wednesday nights when we went through the book of James, remember? James chapter 1, let's begin in verse 2 through 6. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." Verse 7, I think, is good. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I think verses 6 and 7 of James chapter 1 tells us exactly what Jesus is doing. These were double-minded men. Their opinions were tossed around like the waves of the sea. And I mean, James tells us right here that if that's your mindset... Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So why should Jesus answer these double-minded chief priests? Why should they presume to receive anything from the Son of God when their mind was obviously tossed back and forth between public opinion? God has all authority and power to decide that. <laughs> You see, the problem is we as human beings in our sinful state somehow think that we have the right to tell God what we think. Now, He is a loving God and He is an open ear. He wants us to come to Him with all of our petitions and all of our sorrows and even all of our complaints and grumbling. That David's Psalms are beautiful expressions of that. Yet at the end of every expression of lament, what do the psalmists always conclude with? But Lord, you are faithful and righteous and you are trustworthy despite my sorrows and my anxieties and my worries. Yes, he wants us to express our hearts openly as a loving child expresses to a loving parent. But in no way do we take that and distort it the way these chief priests were doing. And I have all authority to question God's power and God's authority. God says in his word, we just read it in James chapter one. If you have a double minded way back and forth and you can't be stable in your mind and in your spirit and in your thought, why should you expect to hear from the Lord? Why should he answer you? 
If your heart is back and forth between faith and sin, faith and sin, I'm in control of my life. No, I'm not. I'm in control of my life. God is. God is in control. I'm in control. You're back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And if you stay so much on the side that you can't settle in faith between and trust the Lord, why should you expect to receive anything from Him? Especially if the truth of that is you really don't want Him anyway. I think that's the deeper truth here. God knows all truth. He knows our heart. It could be that you're tossed back and forth, but it's just a, a, a test of your faith. Could also be that you're back and forth because you have no faith at all. And he understands the difference. And so that's what's happening here in, James, in Mark and Matthew chapter 21. But notice here, I mean, the chief priests have a dilemma. Their reaction is this much like, I mean, their mind is clearly back and forth. You can see it in their interaction with one another. If we say this, oh, we're challenged. They'll say that we're not faithful. I mean, we're challenging God in heaven. If we say this, then the, then the crowds won't like us and we lose all. We don't know the answer. Both answer, neither answer for the chief priest is going to give them an, uh, a win. Because they're looking for their own identity and their own power. Now let's look back here in Matthew 21, 23. Matthew 21, 23, if we remember, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? I mean, the challenge was to the source of the authority. The challenge was that Jesus taught and he cleared the temple and who gave you permission to do this? Remember that these chief priests were still angry and probably still recovering from the fact that Jesus disrupted their, their economy of the sacrificial system. Remember as he purged the temple, he not only purged all of the corruption out of the temple, he all, all the sacrificial system stopped and the economy that went with it. I think these chief priests were still reeling from that. <laughs> I mean, that, that would take me a while to get over. That may be part of what they're challenging is here as well. But the answer is simple to the question posed in verse 25. I mean, the question, by what authority are you doing these things? The answer to that really is simple. Jesus is the Son of God. The authority comes from God the Father. The Son had inherent rights to this authority over people, over objects, over events. Remember, authority is the right to control people, objects, events. That's the answer. Who gave you authority, Jesus? The answer is, I'm the Son of God. Period. How do we see that? The rest of chapter 21, I think, adds to this. The rest of chapter 21 will show us Jesus's further teaching and response to the chief priests. Remember, Jesus is teaching. The chief priests come up and they interrupt him. And then after this interaction, he just continues to teach through parables. And what were the parables about? The parables that follow in chapter 21, there are three parables about sons. I think that's a continuation of Jesus's answer. You want to know who has authority, who gave me this authority? I am the son of God. And, and when we follow here in verses 28 through the rest of the chapter, as, as we uh, look at this, there are going to be parables here, three parables about sons. That's who has authority. That's where my authority comes from. Jesus's identity as the son of God is the answer to where his authority comes from and by what authority he does what he does. That's it. Nothing more. I'm the son of God. Period. Doesn't have to eloquent, it doesn't have to be eloquent beyond that. I'm the Son of God. And here are the parables I want to show you my authority. 
Here it comes. So the next few weeks, next couple of weeks, let's, we're going to be looking through these parables, and it's all going back to the authority of the Son. Verse 27, their answer to this telling of where the chief priests rested on this counter, I mean, it's very telling of them. Notice here in verse 27, after they go back and forth, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. I mean, look at Jesus' question. You know, Jesus' question was this, the baptism of John, where did it come from, from heaven or from man? And their answer was, we don't know. <laughs> you see where they're at? We don't know. I mean, that's a very telling clue here. <coughs> These men do not know from where John's authority to baptize came from, not because they were ignorant, but because they did not know the true power and the authority of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. I mean, these priests were afraid of public opinion. Their authority had no power. They could not make anything happen that they wanted to do. They depended upon the fear tactics that they employed over the people to control them, really, and Jesus could not be controlled. We do not know, I think, is a telling answer. They did not know where the authority of Jesus came from because they did not want to know. Remember the scene. Many sat at Jesus' feet, clinging to his every word in the temple. Every spoken word that Jesus had, there were flocks of people attentive to that. These poor, the oppressed, they wanted to know Jesus and thus wanted to know by which authority he taught and performed great things. They desired to know these things. They were listening to him. The chief priests and the elders did not sit at Jesus's feet. They did not listen to his words they did not care about his teaching. They did not want to know by which authority he spoke and did what he did. They really didn't want to know. And that was Jesus' answer. Really. By challenging them the way he does, you really don't want to know, do you? He's testing them. Now, I want to close and compare this interaction of listening and, and, and understanding Jesus as who he is. If you'll flip over to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to close. Well, well, I don't know if we're ready to close yet. we still got another hour, don't we? Let's look here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews, speaking about Jesus Christ... And speaking to Christians who were struggling with this faith, who were struggling between the power and authority of the Mosaic law in their Jewish tradition and this new faith in, in Christ. Verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Remember that in the temple where Jesus was teaching and he was interrupted by the challenge of these chief priests and elders. That was a distraction to what Jesus was doing. Notice here in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, the, and this is a command. This is an imperative. This is not a suggestion. This is not a look at the illustration of history. This is a command. Therefore, we must, not we should, not we better, not we oughta, we must 
pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. There were people listening to Jesus attentively throughout his ministry. There were many who were not. God speaks clearly in Hebrews, especially the first chapter of Hebrews that leads into the first verse of chapter 2. He speaks clearly in the first chapter of Hebrews about all the ways that he has spoken to his creation throughout human history. He spoke through his prophets. He spoke through his created universe, all that there is. He create, he spoke through the earth. He spoke through the heavens. He spoke through the angelic hosts. Now that Jesus is on the scene, we're to pay close attention to the speech of his son. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. All of these things throughout all of human history that led up to the birth and the ministry of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, all of that pointed to that moment and that man, Jesus Christ, the son of God. All of it was speaking to him. Therefore, we are to pay close attention closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That's a command. Jesus speaks because he's the son of God of whom we listen. Jesus speaks through his actions. Remember, he he had many miracles. He had great acts of miracles and teachings And even in that moment in the temple, it was a moment of action and teaching. And Jesus spoke then because he's the son of God of whom all of creation and all of the prophets point to and speak about. There's nothing more to say. Jesus is it. All of the Mosaic law that these chief priests and the scribes held dear spoke of Jesus All of it pointed to him, and he was sitting in the temple right in front of them. He was acting, and he was speaking, and he was teaching, and he was ministering, and they wanted to know by what authority you're doing these things. They clearly were not listening to the Mosaic Law and the prophets of old. Therefore, they were not listening to this man, Jesus, as he sat in the temple, and he looked, and he knew that. Jesus wasn't dumb. (laughs) He was wise beyond human wisdom, because Jesus is wisdom. He understood exactly where their hearts were coming from. He understood exactly their motives. He understood that they were asking where did his authority come from. They really didn't want an answer. They really didn't care. And Jesus wasn't going to play the game. All of human existence, all of creation, all of the earth, all of the heavens, all of it pointed to this one man, Jesus Christ. And even we could argue this one moment, that last week of his life in Jerusalem, it all pointed to that because that right there, that last week of his life that we're going to see throughout the rest of Matthew's gospel, all of that was what all of human history pivots upon. Salvation alone through Jesus Christ as he speaks the final speech of God the Father. Praise God. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. And these chief priests were refusing to listen to the one moment, the one man that all of human history, all of the interaction that God had with his creation pointed to. He was right there in front of them and they were indignant at it. 
So why should God respond? Why should the Son of God Himself answer? Their hearts, their actions, their motives answered for them. And Jesus wasn't going to play their game. So we who are the faithful, those of us who understand Jesus, who have heard His call to salvation, those of us who have heard His His call to repentance, those of us who have submitted to His authority and begged for mercy and begged for forgiveness, He has granted it to us because He's faithful to do so. We are the ones who have heard Jesus Christ. Therefore, Hebrews 2.1, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. And Jesus was calling these chief priests out. Listen, all of these blind and lame and children and outcasts and poor that are here listening to me teach, you're interrupting them, you're interrupting me. I don't have time for you because you've made it clear you have no time for me. Now, some people hear that and say, wait, 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 that's not a Jesus of love. Notice how I said that. He's very loving. He has all authority and all power because He is God's perfect image. His words are His Father's words. His actions are His Father's actions. He is the Son of God, God incarnate. If you don't want, if, if you don't want to listen to God and you've told God and made it very clear to God you don't want to listen to Him, He will give you what you want. And actually have sorrow over it. I mean, these, these chief priests and these scribes in Matthew 21, 23 through 27, they, they did not want to listen to him. I mean, they had everything they needed. They had the Mosaic Law. They had the prophets. They had all of the wisdom literature. They had all of the Psalms. They had everything that God had revealed to them through his creation and through his word. And it all pointed to the man sitting in front of them and they were indignant at him. They could not hear Jesus because they did not know him. Remember their answer to Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 27. We do not know. They do not know by which authority John the Baptist baptized because they were double-minded in their political thinking. And therefore, they did not know Jesus Christ, the answer to everything that all of the Mosaic Law was pointing to. I mean, what are we listening to? Here's how we've got to think about this, though. What are we listening to in this age of noise and communication? You realize that we have more distractions now in our culture and in our age than I think throughout all of human history. You realize that? What are we listening to? Are we listening to the words of Jesus Christ? Are we listening to Him? Are we listening to the voice of our Savior? Or are we listening to anything else but that? That's what, see, these chief priests were listening to anything other than Jesus. They were listening to the political winds of the people. They were not listening to the Son of God as He sat right in front of them teaching. 
So much so, I mean, it's evident by the fact that they challenged him so many times. They were not listening. If they had listened to him, they would have understood where the authority came from. Jesus Christ had an authority in what he spoke that no one could explain. The only thing they could explain was this is of God. And these chief priests were so deaf, they could not hear him. What are we listening to? Are we listening to Jesus? Here's my challenge to all of us this morning. Are we listening to Jesus? If we do not, is it because we do not want to hear him? I think so. If we're not listening to the voice of Jesus, it's because we intentionally listen to anything else. We do not know him because we do not want to know him. We make excuses of I do not hear Jesus because I have all of this other thing going on or I do not hear Jesus because he's not speaking to me. He does not want to speak to me. Why should he speak to me? That's not the point. He is speaking. He is teaching. He's calling the humble, the brokenhearted to listen and come to his feet. What do we listen to instead? I listen to podcasts, don't you? I like Christian podcasts. I like podcasts that make... Like, you know, a podcast is really designed to make you think. The good podcasts are the ones that have good information in them, right? But am I listening? You know, driving in the car can often be a wonderful time of silence and listening to the Lord. And I've had those seasons in my life where I purposely didn't listen to radio or podcast or anybody and I'd be driving by myself for long distances and not say a word to anybody and just think and pray and have wonderful, wonderful times. But we listen to too much noise. We listen to too much media. We listen to the news. We listen to music. We listen to movies, culture. You realize you can define a culture by what is most important to it And how do we define our westernized American culture? It's through our entertainment. That defines us. Even Christian worldview podcasts that I listen to all the time, when they're talking about culture, what are they talking about? They're talking about the entertainment movie culture. That defines our culture. But does that point to Jesus Christ? Does that show that we're listening to Christ? Is Jesus the center of our being? Is he the center of who and what we are hearing? Is he exactly what we desire? All of this, all of our culture, all of our business, all of our schedules, they grab our attention and we do not listen to Jesus. Therefore, we do not know him. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, many times we will give the same answer that the chief priests and the elders gave Jesus. We do not know. I remember, and I'll close with this story, I think. In 2005, I was privileged to uh, to co-lead. I wasn't the lead uh, staff. I was co-leader on a mission trip to Tajikistan, Central Asia. We were there for over 30 days in the middle of the summer with college students, college students from the United States interacting and living with college students in Tajikistan. And it was a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And we were planning on what are we going to do with all of these wonderful students we're going to interact with? Well, we want to take American culture to Tajikistan and help these American, help these Tajik students really embrace our American culture. Maybe we can interact with them. And we took, of course, back then in 2005, uh, live streaming wasn't a thing. We took DVDs and VHS tapes and of movies. 
Spider-Man, I think, was popular at the time. And we set up movie nights for these college students in Tajikistan to come and have fun with the American college students. And you know what the Tajik students did? They left. They didn't want American culture of Sony media Spider-Man movies or anything. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to go outside in the courtyard and laugh and talk with one another and have communication with one another and interact. We learned pretty quickly that after that first night of trying to do a movie night with Tajik students outside of American culture, this ain't ministry. And that, that lesson has stuck with me ever since. Jesus Christ was in the temple teaching the poor and the brokenhearted, the blind and the lame. He was healing them in the temple. He was teaching truth about who He is as the Son of God. He was teaching the truth about the gospel and about where salvation is. And He said, come to Me and I will save you. And He was setting up the eternal temple of God as God intended to be with His people right there. And the chief priest ignored it. They would not listen. So what is our challenge? I think Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 is our challenge. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. We must pay closer attention to Him whom we have heard lest we drift away. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, your, your word is so true and so good. You give us so much evidence in your gospels uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, and the interactions he's had with those who do not want him. Father, you, you've given us enough warning and enough Ill- examples of caution. And even through the words of the writer of Hebrews, therefore we must pay closer attention to you rather than challenging you. And so, God, I pray right now this morning that all who are hearing these words would hear your word, that they would hear your son, Jesus Christ, and focus on him alone through your word and through the worship of his people. Forgive us, dear God, I pray, for when we listen to anyone or anything else other than you and we ask ourselves, where is God? Lord, you've... You've made yourself abundantly clear. You've shown yourself for who you are. Who are we to ignore that? I do pray, God, that you would continue to prick us, stir us, mold us, challenge us to sit at the feet of your son, Jesus Christ, and to hear everything he has to say, because everything he has to say is all there is to say. And I pray, God, you would forgive us and overlook our, or just to, to pay for our, you've paid for our sin. Your son has paid the price for our sin. You cannot overlook our ignorance. You cannot overlook our rebellion. But Lord, you have atoned for it. And I pray, God, that you would remind us of that and that we would sit at the feet of your son so that we know, that we know him as he knows us. Go with us, Father, today with this truth. Challenge us and shape us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.